Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. Hey everyone, this is Patrick. Happy holidays. Hope you guys are having a great week and are in the festive mood despite the shutdown circumstances. I hope you guys have an amazing holiday and enjoy yourselves and enjoy the season. Welcome to uh, to this episode. I'm going to be speaking about generational wealth. Many of you know I sent out a survey a few months ago in order to get feedback and insights and ideas about how to create a digital course that would be meaningful to you guys. And I have completed that. If you guys go to uh, go.thewellstandard.com forward slash freedom, you can purchase that. It is version one. I'm going to be doing some live Q&A sessions and really getting direct feedback about some of the things I came up with in order to refine and improve, iterate, and so forth. So it's uh, it's really, really exciting. But in the responses that I got, there are some common themes. That's what I've been addressing as podcast episodes the last couple of weeks. And I'm going to be doing that today. Now, the question I'm mostly getting into is which was in the survey, is what's standing in the way? What's the the greatest obstacle that is preventing you from living uh, life at the next level? It's obviously very broad, but it's been really cool to read through the responses. And this is one that I felt was important to address given the season, but also given just some things that I know that are on uh, my client's mind, my mind specifically. And uh, I hope they're on your mind as well, especially if you have children. Even if you don't, it doesn't really matter. It could be grandchildren. It could be nieces and nephews. It could just be people in general, frankly. So let's uh, let's unpack the idea of generational wealth. So thanks for joining me this week. So the specific response was as follows. The Again, this is to what is the biggest obstacle that is standing in the way. So it's creating and passing on generational wealth. I'm looking to be financially free, But once I have achieved that, how do I enable my kids to have similar responsibility and freedom for their children? I'm assuming for them and for their children. So I'm going to read it again. There's a couple parts here. So creating and passing on generational wealth, I'm looking to be financially free. But once I have achieved that, how do I enable my kids to have similar responsibility and freedom for themselves and their children? So there's a few, as I've kind of thought through this 
there's a few things that come to mind. The first is, again, parts to this obstacle. It's creating and then passing it on. It's the idea of financial freedom. And then it's enabling kids to have similar responsibility and, and freedom. So let's address the first one, creating, then passing it on. I guess we should first talk about wealth in general. You know, what I've come to understand as wealth isn't merely just financial wealth, even though that's that's a part of it. There's a really cool book that I'm listening to right now in my, I have five days left on my 75 hard challenge, which is kind of an intense challenge, but I get to listen to lots of audiobooks. But I've been uh, listening to Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey and fascinating book, definitely recommend it. But one of the things he said is that you know, happiness, and I'm paraphrasing, but happiness is not contingent on certain things. And he identified people that he had met in Central America, in South America, in the Middle Eastern regions that essentially live like paupers, but they're the most happiest and friendly and abundant people he's ever met. So I think sometimes wealth, actual financial wealth, makes it more difficult to really understand the true nature of wealth because there's a lot of things that can mask it. But when you don't have as many distractions, it tends to be a little bit easier, I think. And so I think financial wealth allows more distraction that prevents the true essence of wealth. So I would say, you know, wealth, again, I've defined in the past as being able to extract happiness and joy and fulfillment out of any moment, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because wealth, financial wealth in the end will only magnify who a person already is. And so I think creating wealth, the generational wealth, and then passing it on, you know, I think first has to do with us, the individuals that do have this desire. I include myself in, in that. And it's, you know, really understanding that there isn't an end to passing generational wealth. I believe it's a journey and the journey is every day. I think our legacy is literally a daily achievement that we make because we don't know how many days we have. We do know that they are numbered. It just matters when and how, really. And so we look at life from that perspective. And, and really, you know, if we took life, I would say, as more fragile, which I think this year is a great opportunity to do that, regardless of how you feel about COVID-19. There's been a scare. There's been a health scare, and it's allowed us to evaluate our lives. And I think that, you know, as we've been able to adjust and adapt and find happiness and joy and fulfillment within what has happened and how it's disrupted our lives, I think that is a true test of, uh, of wealth, regardless of how much money you have. And I'm going to be honest and frank with you guys, as I always am, but this year we, I had a great year financially so far. However, it was a very challenging year. I had nobody in my office. I came here by myself day in and day out with one or two people in here, but very little interaction where I'm used to interacting with lots of lots of people physically. And I didn't know how dependent on that I was. I also have two teenage girls who've been prevented from, you know, visiting with their friends and going out and doing fun things. We haven't traveled anywhere. I haven't seen my parents in over a year. You know, it's been a it's been a trying time and it, it's been a great test. It's been a great challenge because it's allowed me to find the joy and to figure out ways to be appreciative, to be grateful because when everything's going great, <laughs> it's easy to be happy, right? The true test is when things don't go the way in which you anticipate. And this is a whole idea behind have, do, be versus be, do, have. Because one of the things that I picked up in this response to the survey question was once, the idea of once. 
once I do this, once I do that. And I try to eliminate that from my vocabulary because again, I believe we're all habitually conditioned to think that once we have this car, job, title, girl, boy, spouse, have children, that we're going to be happy that we're going. It's kind of like when we achieve this, then we will, will be this. And I believe it's the other way around. At least I believe that we can experience the other way around. And when we experience that, what we really want in the end will come quicker. And that is the be first, then do, and then have. And so that idea of being, which is experiencing, embodying the idea of extracting joy and fulfillment and happiness out of any given moment or experience, life is happening to me versus life is happening for me. And a lot of this I, I've picked up from just my exposure and experience with Tony Robbins' organization, where you know it's it's our perspective of life that determines uh, our happiness, and that is a daily a daily occurrence. And I think developing generational wealth starts with how you show up for your family, for your kids, for your loved ones. And that right there isn't a one-time event, it's a consistent event. Because really, when you're speaking about children, the first you know, 10, 15 years of their life is where a lot of their perspective of who they are, what life is about, what school is about, what money is about, what, you know, friends are about, who they are, how they understand themselves, what they believe in themselves. That's developed, you know, in the first 10 to 15 years of life. It's not like someday you just pass on a bunch of money and suddenly kids are going to figure their life out then. I believe that a lot of what we're doing today to influence our children is often looked over and it's not seen as making that much of a difference. But I have a, a something I love to, to say to myself as kind of like a, an empowering statement, which is my legacy is today. And it's challenging because children are getting used to life. They are pushing on you. They are pushing on one another. They are testing boundaries and they're always going to, to do that. And so I look at sometimes how we as parents and adults show up to children's lives. It allows us to influence in one way or another. And I believe that that is, again, that is the greatest set of gifts that you can bring to a child is being able to influence their experience of life so that they can discover who they are. They can discover what life is about. They can understand virtues and principles and how to live by them because in essence, they're, they're laws. I think those are some of the greatest lessons because here's the thing. I think technology you know, is really following the hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where technology is making the physiological needs of life almost, you know, zero cost eventually, whether it's transportation, whether it's energy, whether it's food, housing, I think the costs there, uh, communication, entertainment, the costs there are being driven down significantly. And so when we cross this barrier, and I think we're across it, you know, to, to a large extent, cross this barrier of having to work in order to live, right? Where we have to work, we have to go earn money, we have to do those things, that is becoming less and less of a truth. And I believe that in the very near future, technology is pushing towards this working less and less, but being able to live a decent lifestyle. I mean, up until 2020, poverty rates around the world were coming down at a staggering rate just because of the spread of technology, the spread of efficiencies 
that are being developed. I believe our children and grandchildren okay, will live a very different lifestyle from a physiological and safety needs, which is that next step in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, than we have. I think a lot of what makes us afraid, those that are currently, I would say, in X generation, the baby boomer generation, is that we still have on our mind this idea that, you know, we, if we don't have a job, if we don't earn money, then we're not going to be able to survive. And if we can't pay our bills, we're going to be homeless and we're going to be on the streets and we're going to, you know, we go and go to these worst case scenarios. I think those fears are going to be non-existent because of technology. And that's just, again, it's an, it's an opinion. I have some you know evidence to back that up, but Hopefully you know where I'm going with this, which is, you know, wealth from a financial standpoint is going to be different for our generation than it has been in the past. And especially with regards to our kids and their, their generation. So wealth again is very qualitative. It's not quantitative as far as measuring in terms of money or cash flow or income. I think it is very qualitative based on the quality of our experience in life, not yesterday, not tomorrow, not a month or a year or 20 years from now, but today. Taking a break from the show, I want you to know about a course I created for successful real estate investors that I'm making available to my podcast audience for free. You guys know that stupid business and real estate investment decisions almost cost me everything in 2009 and 2010. And since then, it's been my mission to teach you listeners the invaluable lessons I learned during this strenuous time so you don't have to experience those same lessons. Perpetual Wealth Real Estate is an online course that teaches you a financial strategy I use personally with all of my real estate investments to ensure a profitable transaction and maximize the overall return. The Perpetual Wealth Real Estate course is my gift to you. Register today for free at thewealthstandard.com forward slash ROI. Again, the URL is thewealthstandard.com forward slash ROI, Romeo Oscar Indigo. Okay. And that's, that's one of the things. Okay. That's a good point. I'm trying to look at my notes here just to kind of follow because I can go off on these things and in crazy, insane tangents, you know, but I, I look at the first two hierarchies of wealth or first two levels in the hierarchy of needs. So the two levels above physiological and safety needs in the hierarchy of needs, these two levels, physiological safety, which technology I believe is rapidly solving. Now you get to relationships. And I think right now this is being expressed. Social media is incredible as far as how we develop relationships. Now you may not define them as relationships, connections, friends, whatever you want to call them. But again, it's this need of seeking community, this need of seeking relationships, this need of seeking partners, intimate partners, wanting, you know, that desire that happens to have, to want to have children, right? So these innate needs that Maslow talks about, okay, those are now being met with technology. And then you get into self-esteem. And these, I think, are very, very important. Again, this is where we as influencers of our children, of other people, right, can really focus attention on what a healthy relationship is, not necessarily by us directly teaching, but I would say indirectly showing through our actions, as well as self-esteem. Oftentimes, you know, I, I look at how 
completely different my kids are from one another. And a big part of me has always wanted and tried to show them through example of how to appreciate their uniqueness, how to understand that they are different than one another. And I believe sometimes they want to be like one another in order to get love from from their parents. But I believe celebrating the uniqueness and difference of our children is a powerful way in which we create in themselves the seeds to enjoy life at a high level, not one time, but consistently over time. You know, and I'll end with maybe a few points around around doing this and doing it strategic, strategically. Because again, the reason I'm getting into this is I believe wealth is going to amplify who your kids, who your grandkids already are. Okay, when they get money, it's going to amplify whatever results they're already getting. You just hand them a bunch of money. It's not just going to improve their life from a qualitative standpoint long term. There may be some some a house, there may be a car, there may be, you know, some cool things that they can do to entertain themselves. But I do believe that that is also something that is drastically coming down in, in price, right? So, and so more people are going to be able to experience it. But again, you know, again, it goes to this idea of be, do, have versus have, do, do, be, right? If kids believe that they have to have a job in order to feel successful, if they believe that they have to get straight A's in subjects that they may not be that great at, they own, they have to do that in order to be successful and feel feel good about themselves, right? I believe that instilling in children this idea that everybody's different and also demonstrating that through how we treat them and then carrying out, I would say, experiences that allow them to have challenge associated with who they are in order to develop self-esteem relative to what they're capable of by overcoming challenges. Now, it could be as simple like this past summer, you know, we obviously had some travel plans to go visit my parents back east and some other things. Obviously, all those were disrupted. So we were restricted to really where we could could drive. So we did a, a trip up to northern Montana and it was cold during the summer. But we hiked in the snow, we hiked in rain, we hiked some pretty challenging things. And for my six-year-old, man, it was definitely a challenge. He was on my shoulders half the time. But again, these challenges, we may not see, we may not believe, they may not seem like they are that impactful, but they truly are where kids face challenge and they overcome it. They face difficult things and they overcome it. And I wouldn't say, you know, this is more physically than anything else, but it's also the lesson around it that you can demonstrate, whether it's directly or how you face your own challenges. Do you show up and battle and push through or do you tuck tail and run? Or do you analyze it, celebrate it, realize how beneficial it is to your circumstances because it's an opportunity to grow, okay? Or do we complain? Do we blame somebody else, blame circumstances, blame COVID, blame a president, blame a boss, blame the economy, blame, 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 right? Because those are the things that our kids pick up on and it's developed into how they view the world. Another thing that that I do, didn't do this past weekend, but we have a, a place about an hour up in the mountains and it's right on this river and the river is cold all year round. And one of the things that I do is I jump in the river and I jumped in it just last weekend. It was 
freeze. It was incredibly cold, right? And my kids did it a lot up until it got a little too cold, but it was this idea of facing something that you are afraid of, facing something that you know, it's like, wow, that's going to be painful, but you do it anyway and experience it. Now it's not life-threatening. At the same time, it's that experience that wires us to understand fear at a different level, understand the anxiety of looking over at that water like, oh, I know that that is cold, but you push through that and do it anyway. I've always said that one of the decisions I made over a decade ago that made a drastic difference in my life, especially in my business life, but also personal life, you can carry it into all aspects of life, was picking up CrossFit, which is a workout philosophy routine. And I still do it almost every almost every day. And it's not necessarily for the workout, but it's because you face physical failure daily and you figure out a way to push through what your brain is telling you you shouldn't be doing. This is too much. You can't do it. Stop. <laughs> but there's all the environment of CrossFit allows you to face that over and over and over and over again. And that builds in a lot of physical mastery as far as how we show up to the other challenges in our life. The other things where it's like, that's impossible. I'm going to run. I'm not going to do that. That's somebody else's fault. It allows you the fortitude. It allows you the strength to push through and overcome whatever that challenge is. Now, I've gone all over the place with this. The bottom line with passing on generational wealth is you really have to define what wealth is for you first. You also have to realize that really what you are doing on a daily basis is your legacy. If you currently have kids, you are influencing them. So it's stepping back and it's analyzing what am I doing today? What lessons am I teaching my kids indirectly? You want to do some direct stuff, obviously, but indirectly through my behavior, through my response, how I behave. And by no means am I perfect at this. This is a very sobering episode for me because there are so many things that I could do better for my kids. I try my best and I continue to try and I realize that I fail. And even when I'm doing something and I know that I'm failing, sometimes I just keep doing it, right? But it's again, it's being able to step back when you're in kind of a neutral mindset and analyze the situation and then go to your kids and talk to them about your shortcomings, talk to them about what you're trying to do, talk to them about their uniqueness, you wanting them to live a meaningful, beneficial life and having those direct conversations, especially after you fail. I think that's the worst thing is when parents try to hide their faults. I've hid mine in the past and it does not, it does not jive with my principles. And I've had to go back and be penitent to my kids on more than one occasion. But in the end, I think this demonstrates that making mistakes is okay as long as you learn from them and grow from them. And let's see, the last thing I would say is you know, there's ways in which you can structure your finances so that your your children benefit from that when you pass on. Now, this is not what I usually start with. What I just explained and went through was what I believe true generational wealth is, which is basically the strategic design of having your kids experience the principles and virtues of life and come to understand their uniqueness and how they, based on the current circumstances that they experience, as well as future ones, 
how to extract the lesson, how to extract the joy, the beauty, and how to understand that life is happening for you as opposed to to you, which is the case with most people, unfortunately. And your kids see that. My kids see that. And so if we want to turn the tide, that is the greatest way to pass on generational wealth. Now, from a financial standpoint, you know, there's estate planning techniques. There's ways in which you can position your assets so that you don't just have a check written to your kids upon their upon your passing, whether that's later in life or whether that's prematurely. There are ways in which you can structure that so that it's not a blank check, so that it goes for specific purposes. And I would caution you here to find someone that is very astute at this i in the course the digital course that i created i have a like a financial directory in there and my uh, personal attorney is in there and his firm does a wonderful job at uh, helping to structure an estate plan strategy so that you can pass on your values your virtues what you want to pass on to your kids but you do it in a responsible and an intelligent way and andrew is great great at this okay guys thank you for listening i hope you have an amazing and eventful holiday season, even though they're not gonna be the typical events, you can still create some pretty cool things. I know you have some creativity inside of you to create those lasting memories for you and your family. So best wishes, have an amazing holiday season, and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.